Hi ho, neighbour. Well, <laughs> good God, right? Okay. Is that right? Do you know that yeah. you've started you've started the podcast like that? I have to report that I've finished listening to S Town. Me too. Yeah. What a happy coincidence. It was a bit Alabama. Your opening there. What did you think? I loved it. Same here. So and. I loved it even more by the end than I loved it halfway through. And I love the fact that it totally changed directions. And the thing that I loved it most about it most was that it turned out to be an absolutely intriguing story of one bloke who you otherwise would never have heard of ever in your whole life. But it was a magically interesting story about what constitutes a good life. And yeah. the thing that I most loved about it was that any organisation in the world would sink quite considerable resources into telling this one story. And it just is such a great reminder of how important storytelling is. And I know that I sound like I'm on a panel at some <laughs> terrible conference by saying that, or I sound like, you know, Sally Field. <laughs> I love our craft. But I do think that that is a really good masterclass in Find someone interesting and tell their story in an interesting way and it does not matter who that person is. And, you know, just to uh, backstep a second for listeners in case you missed what we just established, it's a podcast. It's called S-Town. It's made by This American Life and the people who made Serial and it basically begins with a reporter going to, um, is it Alabama or Mississippi? Alabama. Alabama. Um, to interview uh, a guy who has corresponded with him at the program. It was also when you say pouring in the resources. I mean, I get letters all the time that look a bit nutty and, you know, that you think, oh, I don't have time to look at that. And they've gotten uh, something like that and then followed it through and it is the most incredible story. Um, and, real, and they've persisted even when the story that they thought they were following fell over. Exactly. Which is even more gutsy. Incredible. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers, but like there's... Like the one I just gave. <laughs> there is... Um... Damn you and your principal, please, <laughs> sales. There is a certain development in it that anyone who listens to it after this will know exactly what I'm talking about when it occurs, um, where I actually had to set it aside for a little while because I was quite gutted by the turn of events. And... Uh, and then I was able to come back to it. And I thought that the storytellers handled it really well, actually. But it actually, I thought about it endlessly for days after I stopped listening to it. And in fact, the final episode I listened to in bed at 4am because I woke up one morning at 3am and I was just thinking about it so much. And an hour later, I thought, look, if I'm just going to lie here thinking about John B. McLemore, I may as well listen to the <laughs> final episode of it. And so I just lay in bed in the middle of the night to get to the end of it. And then when I got up in the morning, I went for a walk and I listened back to episode one again, just ah, to see yeah. how he sounded as a new person. Yeah. Um, but it was... Because when you introduced this podcast to me, you said, oh, it's got kind of a, a beginning that you're kind of not really mm. working out what it's about. And of course, like the, the narrator is, just sounds like every other podcaster from the This American Life Absolutely. School, like Slight Lisp. It's yeah. very kind of, you know... Educated, you know, you know, waspy, yeah. American, yeah. yeah. And so I thought, well, why not? Interesting yeah. music, etc. Like Exactly. And so you're a bit like, oh, okay, what's going on? Once and I heard the end, though, I loved the beginning. Yeah. When I heard the beginning. And oh, yeah. It, it was so good. But, but the reason remember, I started listening was because you said that it had this beginning and then his you voice. hear the voice of this guy who was 
one of the great natural storytellers. And did you agree? Oh, yeah, but that's entirely why I tuned in with your description of this guy. And he sure is this extraordinary. You know, like when you meet someone who's got an amazing face, Mm. his voice is like that. Completely just hooked you in. But I think also in that podcast I said to you, my God, I feel like I've started a great novel. Like it feels like Tennessee Williams or something. Um, That feeling lasted with me for the entire um, experience. And also, I mean, there were also, it it was funny in parts as well. Um, One of the bits I found the funniest was Tyler, who's one of the key characters in it. He has a, I think it was an uncle, who's Jimmy. Who every time Tyler would speak, Jimmy would be like, mm-hmm. and just do testify. <laughs> and Jimmy has um, a bullet lodged in his brain, mm. which is why he's um, given to outbursts. But that just added to the whole it's atmospherics. So it was amazing. And then Rose just saying, "Who oh, Jimmy is in the background? He has uh, involuntarily out- outbursts." You may notice that in the background. And so Tyler's like, wah, 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 wah. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's so it good. was incredible. But the episode, I mean, look, much of it was deeply affecting. But um, in fact, one of my friends in Brizzy who listened to it, Tim, sent me a note to say, I, I actually feel at the end of it like I love, I actually love John B. McLemore. Huh. Like I just feel so connected to the, to the guy. But... Um, the episode that I found the most affecting, I think, was the second last one, which was when he tracks down the man who has had this long friendship oh my with God. him. Yeah. And they meet, the reporter goes to meet this guy. They just meet in a hotel room in the middle of nowhere. The reporter's set up the hotel room to be sort of like a radio studio, and then they have what's clearly a very, very long conversation mm. about John and what he's like and uh, their friendship and all that stuff. Oh, my God. It was... Anyway, you really need to listen to it. I, I found it. Just yep, thoroughly recommend. 100%. Also, um, the Readings Bookstore did a thing that I thought was fantastic, which is they put out a reading list that they thought if you had enjoyed S-Town, oh. you could, might enjoy the following books. Oh, okay. Um, and so they had, for example, um, a book we've talked about in the podcast, Hillbilly Elegy by yeah, J.D. Vance. Yeah, made me think about that book um, quite a bit. Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, oh, yeah. um, which is, you know, a small American town yep. book. My Name is Lucy Barton, which I've talked about in the podcast yep. before, by Elizabeth Strout, which I loved, also small rural town. Um, and so it's a list of... Oh, um, uh, Annie Proulx's stories... Um, is it Proulx? How do you pronounce Proulx? Yeah, E. Annie Prue. E. Annie Yeah, um, Close Range. Yeah, Close Range, yeah. Brokeback Mountain and other stories because Brokeback Mountain becomes a bit of a feature in this yep. podcast. Um, Insomniac City by Bill Hayes, which is sitting on my bedside table, which is oh about God, Oliver you really, Sacks. You really drank the Kool-Aid, didn't you? Well, oh, some of these books on. were all on I my thing. Insomniac City. Yeah, some of these books just happened to be on my yeah. bedside table. Anyway, it was a great um, – we'll put it on the uh, – Brenda will put it on the – List. Oh my god, it's going to be a corker list. Why don't you do the plug this time? Uh, if you like it, uh, why don't you <laughs> just go and find a nice book and read it? No, why don't you go to top10looks3.com and check out our earlier work or find us on iTunes and leave a review because it helps other listeners to find us and enjoy what us. What do you leave a review on iTunes? I don't know. What is it? So that you can read it and get sort of annoyed about sort of. <laughs> Fulsome praise. I don't know. I used to have a, an occasional look at the reviews, yeah. but I haven't. Remember, there was that woman like who wrote, "I just love it. This is the most incredible podcast. It just feels like just discovering new friends." Two out just. of five. 
Ah, that really burned you up. It's like You were like waking up at 4 a.m. worrying about John being Matt just and just hating on that lady. She's still, yeah, she's gone now. It's fine. Um, so, uh, just while we're on podcasts mm-hmm. and before testify, I might just come and do that in the 7.30 studio while you're interviewing Corey Bernardi or whatever. <laughs> what was with the, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll just be like, <laughs> can you just in a minute, cue me about 3am wake ups and stuff that plays on your mind. Okay. Yeah, I will. Um, yeah. right after I just grab the mic back. <laughs> Um, so I have listened in the last 48 hours to two podcasts of interest to me. Um, I started listening to um, Making Oprah, which mm-hmm. is the story of um, Oprah's career. And oh, I've done a podcast. Uh-huh. Is Oprah so, in it? Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's not done by her. It's done by this like full Oprah fan, right? right. And it looks at her beginning in daytime TV and she got her first big gig in Chicago um, at this sort of like slightly busted ass TV network that was like losing big time against Phil Donahue and all sorts of um, other pressures and they um, basically put out this casting call and Oprah applied and there was this one producer who just looked at her tape and they flew her in and just went she is dynamite and wow. this great moment where she says listen i'm a black woman and i'm overweight are you sure that this is a good idea and he <sighs> just goes yep i'm entirely sure and his wow. board is giving him all this shit and he is just absolutely this woman is dynamite wow and the funny thing is that like you listen to her there's there's you know tapes of her first show and she is exactly the person that she is later on it's really really interesting mm, such a wow yeah. how fascinating and like the show the podcast i think suffers slightly from being like it's very fangirl um right and the woman who presents it is like when she finally gets an interview with oprah she's like honey i'm packing my bag to go and interview <laughs> <Oprah>. <laughs> and so you're like oh god but it's really interesting and oh, it makes you great. think about like what was going on in daytime TV, you know, I'm a bit obsessed with, you know, yeah. high-rating TV programs in the US and, like, what's going on behind the scenes? I don't know, it's just a little weakness of mine. <laughs> um, incidentally, Fox News, Bill O'Reilly, apparently you can just sexually harass people and then just get paid out millions of dollars at Fox now. I didn't read the article, but I saw a what? headline today with Bill O'Reilly, it was something like, I'm really sad to not be on TV anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh my God, that's what makes you sad out of this whole saga? Yeah, that's what makes me sad. <sighs> anyway. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. Okay, making, love... making Oprah. Okay. Is that what it's called? Making Oprah. Yeah, yeah it's really good. Um, and also, I've dipped back into the dollop. Love the dollop, yeah. I continue to love that so It's incredible, much. isn't it? It is really good. This and... is a podcast, just as a quick aside. Two guys talk about little-known stories from American history. One guy tells the story, the other guy's hilarious and interjects funny lines. So they're both comedians, and the, um, the guy who's being told the story is just like... <laughs> massively reacting Gareth he's to um, to what he's being told is, it, is, is it very Gareth? funny is it Gareth yeah, yeah it's not Gary it's Gareth <laughs> anyway um, I went I, I, sometimes I just go and look at the feed and I just yeah. pick something that's interesting um, and they've done a bunch of Australian ones too um, because they're really popular in Australia and they but do stuff with Will Anderson they do and yeah. it's very funny um, and I listened to the Enron one I've not heard that one yeah god it's so 
because you know, like when Enron happened, you know, it's just this incredible um, intrigue. But then, nearly ten years later, I'm a bit like, what, what happened again? What was the exact detail? Yeah. Dick Cheney. What was his involvement? Yeah. Was, you know, there's just this sort of general cloud of filth, and you sort of think, oh, it was some sort of energy-related, yeah. sort of terrible insider trading saga. But what was it? Yeah. So, this episode is these two comedians um, telling the story in this. Um, funny, stylized, but incredibly illuminating way. And along the way, you get these terrible glimpses of energy policy in Australia. Not that I'm suggesting that any of the corporate <laughs> players are corrupt, but there's all this stuff in there about what Enron was doing in um, California. Like they were, they were kind of basically dealing in futures of natural gas. And um, they would do things like, in California, you know, just sort of, slightly um, trip the system so there'd be power blackouts so that there'd be higher demand and then, you know, I'm just thinking, God, actually, that, what does that remind me <laughs> well, of? Um, well, anyway, it's really interesting and useful to listen Have to, Have you I listened to, I can't remember if I told you on the podcast or in real life, to listen to the FedEx episode? Have you listened to that one? Oh, my God, the FedEx episode. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's snakes on a plane times 100. Just... And by the end of it, you just... I actually played it for um, Jeremy um, while we're on a it's, – it's quite a profane podcast. So if you're going to listen to it in a car with all of your children, oh, yeah. you've got to wait till they really fall asleep. Yeah. And I remember we were, like, driving in South Australia quite a distance and we kept, you know, playing soporific music. <laughs> and finally, all three children fell asleep. I'm like, right, put on the it on. podcast. And we were just both sobbing with laughter. Oh. The, the FedEx episode is just about a FedEx flight that goes unbelievably Badly wrong, wrong because someone gets on the flight <laughs> with a spear gun and they're all fighting. It's it's and yeah. one of the one of my favourite bits in the dollop is that they will start so they'll drop the sort of one guy telling the story and the other guy interjecting and then they'll start role-playing the actual story. Yeah. Um, and they were doing it all the time in the FedEx one where they would be like as if, as if they were, you know, people involved on the flight. Anyway, it's just so funny. There was one that I, I listened like the pilot to. contacting base. Oh, we got this guy. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got a spear gun. Because he's got the guy. stabbed. The guy's got weapons that he brings on in a guitar case. Yeah. And he's created this he's a guy who works for FedEx and he's created this elaborate backstory over time that he is a guitarist or something and then he gets on and it pops it open it's full of weaponry there's a bit where he's got he probably busts out a spear gun or something and Gareth pops into character as one of the other people on the plane and he's like um but can you really play guitar <laughs> it's just oh god anyway it's very funny you must have listened to the rube because I think that's the one that oh, I was the yeah. gateway drug to get into the dollar yeah. and that is that is, if you if you have not listened to the dollop, search for the Rube because that is just pricelessly funny. The one that I listened to on holidays to try to break me out of the S Town yeah. thing because I felt like I need to listen to something to really make me laugh and to mm. just get me out of this space was um, called Whale Explosion, <laughs> which was it was a long time ago now in the seventies. Um, a whale washes up on a beach in Oregon somewhere, so and far so unremarkable. <laughs> I can't work out how to get rid of it and so they decide that they're going to dynamite it and that the whale meat will sounds risk-free exactly they'll situate the dynamite in such a position that the whale meat will blow out to the ocean yeah the tide will come in 
seagulls will eat it and then any remaining meat on the beach will be washed out. Anyway, some local, you know, KBNY newsroom sends their young hotshot reporter. And this one of the most memorable bits in it is that the reporter initially refuses to go because he says something like, quote, and this is a newspaper that they're reading out of, hey, I'm the boy wonder around here. I'm not going on some whale story. Anyway, they're like, who calls himself a boy wonder? Anyway, he gets basically, they're like, no, you're going, off you go. Anyway, chaos ensues. The whale explosion goes horribly wrong and there's spectators have come from all around to watch it, the world be blown up. And the newspaper... It's just one of those things that you, if you were nearby, you would totally go and watch, wouldn't you? Like, I mean, what am I doing? I've got an assignment due. I'm supposed to be meeting my auntie. On the other hand... They're blowing up a whale. cetacean explosion going on on a nearby <laughs> beach. Plus, it's a nice day. If the wind's blowing in the right direction, I probably won't even get covered with blubber. So. <laughs> exactly. Some dude who's hired to pack the explosives under it mm. is putting a Those lot in. Those guys are just never oh. quite as good as they're expected to be, are they? There's, and some other dude comes along and he's like, wow, I think that's a lot of explosives you're putting under there. The guy's like, shut up. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Like, oh, my God. Anyway, the... Um, I was like, is that the blue whale uh, <laughs> sizing for the explosives? Because this is just a sperm whale. Just, exactly. Um, but the how many whales can you name? The newspaper you've just named the two that I could name. Um, Moby Dick, humpback. The um, when they blow it up, the newspaper account describes the sound of meat splatting on the ground around the spectators. <laughs> Everyone's covered in blood, and there's the sky fills with like a red mist, which is whale blood. <laughs> Everyone in the town. It's like Carrie, but the whole town. <laughs> Everyone in the whole town is just covered in whale blood. Um, anyway, it's just hilarious. And so the dude who was the reporter who didn't want to go on the original story, boy <laughs> to this day, because it became, it sort of went away, but then when YouTube and the internet came in, it sure, became gigantic. The, the original whale explosion story is back and it's huge. So now any time that a whale beaches somewhere, <laughs> someone rings this dude because he's like the whale, whale guy. He's beached whale Boy guy. Wonder. Boy Wonder is God. like whale dude. Anyway, it was. I was on a walk, and I was just. I kept having to stop and just double over because I was just laughing so hard. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, the dollop. It is very, very funny. It's actually, I know that I've got a bit preachy about how um, Ship Town, the document, the podcast, is a really good demonstration of how fascinating a story about someone who's essentially, in news terms, a nobody can be. That podcast is a really good reminder about how random storytelling can be. Like you can pull something that nobody's thought about for ages. And the dollop. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in the right hands. You know. It can be – and you actually get the deep satisfaction as you're listening to it of, you know, laughing a lot but also filling yourself in about it an event or a period that you've just you wouldn't go and track down whale explosion or whatever but you I, I do want to watch this story on YouTube sure I, yeah. yeah I haven't and done I that yet you will yeah I will answer. but some of them too are, like there's another one called Radium Girls which is about um, I forget what they're doing but it's women who are just in the US in the 50s or 60s or something massively exposed to radium in this particular workplace mm. and their jaws start breaking they're getting jaw cancer like it's a really serious story and there's not 
I mean, they, the, I don't know how they do it, but the guys still do weave a little bit of humour into it. But it's one of those things that you listen to and you think, I cannot believe that I was not aware that this yeah. event actually occurred, that this is a real-life event. Even the Rube, which is about a baseball player, it's like, how have I never heard of this guy? I know. that That is the feeling you get listening to that podcast. It's just like, what? are you? How did I not know about this? Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's funny too because I often wonder, like, the dude who's finding the stories, his workload is so much heavier than the guy who's aiming to the I know, the guy just turns up, pats the dog, has yeah. a beer, and just <laughs> overreacts to whatever he's being told. It's, it's so not an thing. insignificant amount of work, I would imagine, to find all the stuff no, and for it. He, the, the stuff that he curates is just genius. Like, he picks oh. a thread through the story and tells it in a way that is massively engaging and yet still allows for just absurd detours, which is yeah. the charm of the thing. Yeah, absolutely. So a minute ago you were saying um, something about how you, the things that you wake up and worry about at 3am. Um, oh, just, so I interviewed the Prime Minister last week and he, <laughs> and he said... I don't think your heart's really in it. Exactly. Me. And I, one of my friends a few days later, who's not a journalist, not, a pol not in politics, just an ordinary dude, said to me when I was watching it, when he said, I don't think your heart's in this league, I wish that you had said, yes, but is yours. And it just, I lay awake the next night thinking that would have just been such a golden comeback and I can't believe it. No, I mean, Derek's raised it and I just got ah. Yeah, it's just that thing of live interviewing. You don't always see the obvious, but as soon as he said it, I just thought, I just was like, oh, I'm just crushed. That would have been so good. That's terrible because it's like every revision that you ever do to any kind of social interaction or an argument you've had with someone, you think, oh, if only I did that. But, you know, you have been watched by many hundreds of thousands of people and you failed to take that opportunity. <laughs> anyway, sleep well, my beauty. Yes. <laughs> my beauty. Um, yeah, no, it was just when it was pointed out that to me, I went, oh, awesome. that was so obvious and I did not see it, did not see it. Um, anyway, it's it, under the pressure of the moment you do what you can, but sometimes someone will point something out to you later and go, oh, I've had a few like that. There was another one one time, I can't remember the actual line, but with Tony Abbott where after the interview I didn't, someone didn't point it out, I thought about myself. I just thought, oh, no, that would have been so good. I didn't do it. Oh. Live television. Yeah, you only get seven minutes or something, don't you? I never wake up after the podcast wishing I'd, you know. Because, oh, you know, there's just endless further fields to till. <laughs> yeah, hey, exactly. um, uh, I have been reading, in fact, I'm now about two-thirds of the way through that new book about Helen Garner's I am dying to read that and life. I haven't started it. What's it called again? It's called... Is it A Writing Life? It's called A Writing Life. Right. Helen Garner, A Writing Life. So this is a book about... Um, Helen Garner, uh, someone's had access to her diaries and access to her and they've gone and, you know, everything she's written and they've gone back through it all and sort of a, is it a bio? Is that what you'd call it's, it? It's, it's like a literary biography. So it's, um, it's about her, um, her literary oeuvre, but it's also threaded around her, um, her life as well. So it, it tells you... It, it works its way quite creatively, I think, um, through everything that Garner's ever written, but laces it into her life. And um, Bernadette Brennan is um, the name of the writer. Uh, um, and it is 
just such a great read. Now, I know that I share with you an unreasonable adoration for Helen Garner, and mm -hmm. so as such, we can't really be expected to be very objective. But I, I it fills in a lot of gaps, um, a lot of critical gaps. I would say that it's um, it's an extremely respectful and um, admiring biography, but it's not a hagiography, I don't think. Okay. Um, but the best thing about it is it just sort of um, reminds you of things that you've read and then acquaints you with things that you haven't read. So like the very best of these sorts of books, it leaves you with this great reading list of, of things that you can't wait to, to oh, read. Fantastic. So there's a couple of things um, in the Ghana back catalogue that I haven't read and because I always just think, oh, I've read everything. I've read, read yeah. everything. But I haven't. And hilariously enough, I haven't read The Children's Bark, which just on um, reading this book clearly is one of the most powerful things that she's written mm. and I haven't read it. So it's like a treat that's in store once I've finished oh, reading this book. Um, I feel like I can tackle this house of grief now because when I when that came out yeah. I had a really young child and I felt like oh I just can't, I'm not in the emotional headspace yeah. now I feel like yeah I want to read that now. I'm yeah. fine to go, good to go. Um, yeah that sounds fantastic. I'm very keen to um, get into that. Um, the other bits, and I've been doing bits and pieces of cultural um, activities. I went to see Calamity Jane at the Hayes Theatre, which is a theatre oh, in Sydney that does musical theatre, cabaret. Um, it's very small. It probably seats... It's teeny, right? 150 yeah. people, like small. Everything I've seen there, I think they just smash it out of the park. I, I don't know how they decide what they're doing. I've seen Sweet Charity there. Little Shop of Horrors. I have no idea why this place appeals to you. I just I can't. <laughs> what is the common thread? I don't look know out, what look it out, is. Look out, look out. Um, it, Virginia Gay was Calamity Jane. Mm. Uh, it was just really fantastic. She was incredible. The whole thing was great. There was a tuba solo. There was a tuba solo. You were there in fancy dress. It and basically... it was quite a young, good-looking guy, which changed a sort of, in my mind, stereotype that I have about tuba players, which is that they're all fat dudes with bum acne. <laughs> the fact that you even have a stereotypical tuba player view is just, on one level, deeply unsurprising to me. <laughs> And on another, just so weirdly disturbing. Don't you think that is what tuba player says, though? In the same way that cello player says romantic, beautiful-looking female, tuba player says... Pre-Raphaelite beauty. <laughs> exactly. Tuba, tuba player, player just says, I've got acne on my bum. Should you care to ever attend one of my bare-ass performances? Bare-ass tuba. <laughs> Who knew that was a thing? Wow, sorry. Wow, you are a woman I've of just very eclectic taste. I've just apologised to any tuba players who are listening. I know. Like, the, the casual brutality of your review, they're like, oh, the tuba player who was actually handsome and whose uh, ass was not covered, as far as I know, with suppurating acne. It's not like I've maligned the entire brass section or anything. It's just tuba <laughs> players. Like, are you trom trombonists? <laughs> You're all fine. You're free to go. French horn, yeah, <laughs> no problem. Off you pop. Trumpet, not a problem. I'm sure you, those guys. <laughs> tuba, 
Not so fast. <laughs> um, anyway, it was an, You're an inc- actual idiot. <laughs> incredibly great production. Virginia Gay, just fabulous. Um, but it also asked Acme. What? No. <laughs> Come on. Um, it somehow put me into listening to a podcast, maybe because Calamity Jane was directed by a guy called Richard Carroll, who does a podcast that I've discovered, which I'm sure you'll be very interested in, called Every Musical Ever. And it's him. Oh, run, don't walk. <laughs> it's him sitting around with some mates. And every episode is one musical that they talk about. Um, and, yeah, I mean. I'm actually getting a sweat Breaking just, out of anxiety, just, just think, even thinking about that. Like, I just think heaven over it, and I'm already like tedious thinking about than that. when they invite me, do I want to do a chorus line or sing it in the rain? I am really giving it a lot of thought. Or should I go for something sort of less obvious, like the unsinkable Molly Brown? Or, yeah, I just, I'm giving it a lot of thought. Just want to put that out there. I left the room six minutes ago. If you're listening, Richard Carroll, I'm just I'm waiting for your call. What's, why haven't you called me? <laughs> Um, anyway, it, they did an episode where Virginia Gay and Richard Carroll talk about Funny Girl, the film. Sorry, this is going to be segue after segue after se- We're I in a loop now, I love such a philistine that I felt that I needed to point out that Funny Girl's a film. Thanks. It's yeah. a famous musical All over it. starring Thank Barbara Streisand. Um, and I hadn't seen it for years, and so I watched it when I was on holidays. And they in the podcast said, um, interestingly, Funny Girl is one of those things where because, you know, musicals have revivals all the time, right? People are always doing productions of Grease and whatever. Funny Girl? No. Really? Barbara did the film. No one has touched it since. Are you joking? No. It had some revival on West End last year or something they said in the podcast. But otherwise, nobody's done it because you're not going to be able to top Barbara. And so if you're not going to do Barbara, what are you going to bring to it that's different? Like, it's just... it's. Just there's nowhere to go because she wow. smashed it so, so far out of the park. The fields have been ploughed with salt. Yeah, just absolutely. Um, God, anyway, it's devastating, isn't it? Imagine if you were the writer of that show. You're just like, oh, it was great, but also now no one will ever do yeah, that that's again. Right. Exactly. And it's like you and seven thirty. Great, like you know, don't rain on my parade and people. The song, you know, people, people who did people. Um, Thanks. <laughs> what do you think? I'm just podcasting with a brain injury here, like. I'm not interested, but that doesn't mean I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, yeah, but those songs maybe outside try-hard try auditions aren't getting the sort of, you know, re- regular revivals that they might otherwise get. Anyway, um, it was it's a really enjoyable discussion about stuff. And, in fact, I listened to one which was about um, Into the Woods, which is a musical I've never seen, um, and it still held my interest for the entire time, which I thought was a mark of a good podcast. They're talking about something I've never seen and I was still riveted by what they were banging on about. Um, so anyway, I have thoroughly enjoyed that. But if anyone is going to do a revival of Funny Girl, Virginia Gay, I'd certainly go and see her have a stab at it because she was so good in Calamity Jane. I thought I could see you having a go at that. But, I mean, Barbara is Barbara, you know. What do you do? Wow, your boutique social media circles are just buzzing right now. (laughs) There's just like a little tiny ripple of like, oh, God, gay, anointed by sales. To do funny girl. (laughs) Still funny after all these years. I can write the headlines now. God, I just, 
I just turn into such a bitch when you start talking about musicals. And the thing is, I don't know what happens to me. I'm really sorry. The, like, I also, when I started thinking about, um, maybe they'd ask me to be a guest. Maybe they'd ask me to be a guest and pick a musical. I could do a chorus line. For about a whole day, in my brain, the entire day, I was like, God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. How many people does he need? <laughs> I don't know. So I think... Yeah, oh, that's... I've spent many hours thinking, but if I did a chorus line this, but if I did sing in the rain, that, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah. She's actually put on a pair of leg warmers while we've been having this conversation. <laughs> She's limbering up on a bar. Yeah. Have you appreciated that, that was the actual Fossey. choreography that I just did? Then. I know, yeah. I, I recognise that. <laughs> and it's just podcast gold, let me tell you, <laughs> when you start doing your own hand movements. Did you by any chance <clears> see, I tweeted today or yesterday, Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan have a new The Trip? No. To I Spain? That. Oh, no, I'm, I can't wait for that though. They've released a clip of it, which is them doing a David Bowie impersonation. It's The premise of it is when Rob Brydon discovers that David Stop. Bowie has followed him on Twitter. Oh, okay. And All they right. go from there. Just I'm already go straight home and watch absolutely it. Absolutely hooked. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll watch anything those people do. Uh, have you got anything else that you... Um, yeah. God, what else? Um, I've, I've been doing lots of stuff. I really have. Your piece of paper. Uh, just now. <laughs> I, I know it sounds seamless, but we do have a piece of paper. Well, we, just, we... Ex we just exchange. Oh, right, okay. Um, I watched The Red Pill. Yeah, now what is that? A, that's controversial, right? It is controversial. Is it about abortion or something? No. Oh. <laughs> What's it about? Well, Australia's leading current affairs journalist. What's that thing? Was that thing? I keep seeing it and just not clicking on it. It's going, oh, yeah, Phil, everyone, this last no, no, temptation no. of Christ or whatever. It's a, it's a bit that way. It's a bit piss Christ. Um, so it's this film made by, uh, it's a documentary about, sort of about the men's movement, men's rights movement. It's, it's billed as this sort of like anti-feminist, diabolical, God, look away, or you could have your entire world shaken kind of thing, and various protesters in um, Melbourne and Sydney have obliged by protesting outside the Dendi or whatever and having it um, taken off air um, and thereby in in enabling the Australian to write thousands of sort of column inches about, you know, what are they afraid of, bloody feminists, etc. Uh, so... You can't see it in Australia, and you, you you probably wouldn't have anyway because it's not an especially fabulous film. But of course now it's highly notorious because it's been banned. Mm. Banned, I tell you. Anyway, so the other night I some quiet night, so I thought, oh, I'll go and watch it online because I just thought, oh, that sounds interesting. It's this woman called Cassie J who is um, a feminist. And she decides to investigate rape culture. You think, oh, hello, cool. And she just finds some men's rights activists and then basically just goes and sits on their lounges and listens to them talk about um, issues facing men, some of which are absolutely legitimate. Um, but some of these guys are also a bit bodgy. They run websites with, that are a bit out there, but she doesn't really talk to them about the out there con content. Oh, she right. talks to them more about their... So you want to be a better father kind of content. Right. Anyway, the whole thing is a bit unsatisfying on that level. Um, although she is quite interesting. She used to be um, 
an actress in Hollywood, but she always used to get the roles um, where she was the sort of hottie that got slaughtered at the beginning of the um, oh, yeah. bloodbath thriller pick. Slasher. Um, and so then she became a filmmaker. Um, anyway, I found the whole thing just so profoundly unprovocative. Like, I, oh, it really interesting. I know, right? And wow. so, because there's this whole, you know, well, you know, it shouldn't be seen kind of thing. And actually, like, it's just her, you know, touring around to a bunch of guys who eventually, like, they do raise some really significant issues like, you know, men's lives are viewed as expendable, we're more likely to die in workplace accidents when, and also at war. So there's a lot of, you know, well, feminists, if you want equal opportunity, why don't you put your hand up to be killed in the Korean War, okay? <laughs> ah. So there's a bit... With the odd non sequitur like right. that. Um, and then there's a bit of a couple of the guys going on a bit too much about, so then I married this woman, then she tricked me into getting her pregnant, and then she, you know, I had to pay maintenance and blah, blah, blah. There's a bit of, right. it's a bit sort of like, ooh, right. funny letter from someone who's just been through the family court. Um, so but This American Life would have gone and visited and yeah, made a fantastic probably. six part series. Anyway, so, yeah. but at the end of it, I was just so profoundly un sort of shocked to my core or like some of the issues raised were absolutely like reasonable issues, issues that I've written about and, you know, like mm. stuff about gender roles, which, you know, kind of cut both ways as anyone with a decent human brain can recognise, I think. Mm. Um, but beyond that, it was just kind of like a, the weakness of the film is that the protagonist or the, the narrator, director, presenter doesn't really cross-examine some of these guys about right. some of their more sort of um, <clears throat> extreme views. And she also doesn't really ever, again, mention rape culture, which is what she's sort of supposedly investigating when she sets out on the journey. Anyway, I don't know. I just was so, so unshocked by it. And right. I also just thought, God, how ridiculous to have it, you know, taken off air or whatever. Like, it should... Play to the small houses that I'm sure it would. Yeah, I've just played to and disappeared with that sure. trace. No. Uh, I believe you also saw Boss Baby. I did see Boss Baby. <laughs> I saw Boss Baby. Is that the one where Alec My Baldwin kids. voices a baby? Yeah. So yeah. I will go and see anything that Alan, Alex Baldwin does. Uh, that Alec Baldwin does, particularly if it appeals to my children <laughs> at the same time. Um, and they had seen the shorts to. Boss Baby when seeing something else recently and um, so they were like well let's see the film about the baby anyway um, is it like look who's talking it, it is a bit right. um, but it's entirely animated so oh it's, okay um, it's not an actual baby and so the story is like there's this kid who's like seven and he's um, very happy with these idyllic parents and then suddenly they have a baby and this baby turns up and, oh, I think it's a and he gets year. out of a taxi and he's, and he's wearing a suit <laughs> and the kid's like this baby does not seem normal. But the parents are like, <laughs> oh, such a cute baby. And clearly the baby is like giving the kid eyes and just saying, I'm going to sort you out. You versus me. Sounds like James. <laughs> yep. And um, anyway, the baby is played by Alec Baldwin. And it turns out that he's actually not a normal baby at all. He's been sent by Baby Co., um, which is this sort of baby manufacturing plant in the sky, to... Um, 
investigate the parents who work for Puppy Co, right. a company that's developing a puppy that's so cute that it will suck up all the love in the world that would otherwise be available to babies. Mm -hmm. So it's like baby versus puppy right. and the cuteness stakes. Anyway, but the great triumph of the film, um, such as it is, and it's, I think, not a great film, um, is Alec Baldwin as the boss baby. And so you just close your eyes and you just hear Alec Baldwin just being right. an ass, you know, which is quite Such a great satisfying. voice. Well, exactly. And so. Um, and so that is like 100% of the pleasure of the film. But the great thing is you can have a little nap, listen to Alec Baldwin, and your children will probably quite enjoy the sight gates. Awesome. Um, but the remarkable thing about the film, I think, is that it's just uh, the... Um, the film's distributors were obliged to issue a statement clarifying that the Boss Baby character was not based on Donald Trump. <laughs> Just like the most hilarious disclaimer ever. Like, well, this kind of crazy animatronic suit wearing, immature, weird, demanding, immature, <laughs> solipsistic, tantrum throwing, egomaniac, tantrum throwing, nappy wearing, <laughs> lunatic. Baby, totally fictitious figure, is not in any way based on the current serving president of the United States. Like, it, that's where we now live. Oh, man. In a world where that disclaimer is so incredible. Just mm. truly incredible. I've got a lot of stuff backed up that I'm waiting to get into, read, or watch that I just feel like, ah, I haven't had time and stuff's just building yeah. up around me. The new season of Wentworth, very keen to watch that. Have loved every previous season, think they're fantastic sitting there waiting for me to get into. Um, Caroline, Overington, Caroline Overington's book, The Lucky One. All of her books are good, pacey thrillers. Yep. I know I'll enjoy it. I'm dying to get into it. The Good Girl Stripped Bear by Tracy Spicer. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've got that on my to-watch list, need-to-read list. A book that I have been sold on purely by, and this is unusual for me, it's called Storyland by Catherine McKinnon. Um, I think it's HarperCollins who's published it in Australia. They put out a um, thing on their social media where they had various people who worked for the company, um, yeah, it's HarperCollins, uh, talking about their reaction to the book. And there were, you know, a dozen of them by people saying, this book is up there for me with my all-time favourite Australian books. And, and like very detailed uh involved descriptions of why this book had meant something to them in a way oh, that wow. it didn't sound just like a publicity blurb. And so it made Set me... on the banks of Lake Illawarra and spanning four centuries, Storyland is a remarkable and moving novel about who we are and our connection to this land. Okay, well, I've read the little blurb on the back and I already really want to read it. Oh, really? See, the blurb on the back wouldn't have sold it to me. I would have thought, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But everyone's sort of visceral, like, passionate... Oh, my God, this is just amazing. Um, sold me on it. And so that's sitting there waiting to go. Also, I've got in the Kindle, have you read the book that won this year's Stella Prize, The Museum of Modern Love no, by Heather I Rose? Yet. I love the sound of it. Yeah. It's based on Marina Abramovich, who we both are a little bit fascinated by, who's that woman who sat in the art gallery in New York and stared at oh people. God. And then there's that ex moment where moves. her ex-partner turns up and sits down in front of her <gasps> and face on it oh my god yes. I mean how would you even respond to that I went to um, uh, Mona in Tasmania and I sorted rice and lentils for an hour oh that's right you know, she told you to yeah, Marina she Marina, Marina told and me I to. really enjoyed doing it um, she never thanked me so, 
So that's waiting to go God, as well. Right. I'd really like to get into that. Um, I have got, now that we're doing this, um, I've got The Green Road by Anne Enright to read because oh, yeah. I am clang interviewing her at Sydney Writers Festival. Mm -hmm. um, and Testify. <laughs> Hiya! <laughs> yeah. Sorry, God, you're awful. You um, are. Anyway, uh, she is that Irish writer who won the Man Booker Prize a few, mm -hmm. um, testify, <laughs> uh, a few years back, probably more years than I care to recall. And this is her new and just hysterically widely acclaimed book. Um, she sounds like an awesome person to meet, so I'm quite looking forward to that. Good. Um, the Gathering is the name of the one that... Oh, it won the Man Booker Prize in 2007, so not recently at all. Oh. Ten years ago. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right so again. there you go. Um, I'm looking forward to reading that. Also, um, we are doing a live event at the Sydney Writers' Festival, but I shouldn't mention that because... It's sold out. It's sold out. So forget it. But um, I am doing an event with uh, Julia Baird discussing... Oh, yeah. Victoria. Victoria the Queen. Awesome. And just... Just have been re rehearsing for Love that, that for about four years. You two chicks will be awesome. That's she great. She is fascinating, and that book is. What else once are you doing? Again, just such a superb piece of work. Completely I just agree. Could not put it down. Um, I'm also doing. Oh my god, the full Ghana Fest with. Um, oh, I bought a ticket so, to that. Did you? Yeah. With your own money. Um. So yeah. Um. The Bernadette book that we just, um, Bernadette Brennan book that we just discussed um, earlier um, is under discussion with um, you, a host of... Uh, yeah, Ben Law. I yeah, think. Ben yeah. Law is involved. We, we had this sort of um, interim hookup between panellists and within about like two emails, um, Bernadette and I were discussing the best things to read when you're breastfeeding. <laughs> like it's all about like, I'm just like, oh, sorry, Ben. It's already about <laughs> squirting boobs. Sorry about that. But he's like Ben loves because he's he loves he's like, That's why I do. yeah he loves scatological humour. He'd be massively into squirting boobs. Um, so um, yes, I'm doing that as well, which I'm massively looking forward to. Sounds good. Um, we've been going for 45 minutes, 46 now. <laughs> Nobody cares but you. If you but hadn't, don't you, know you that, think like they... your reverie about what to do when the people from that musicals podcast call you actually yeah. went on for about 17 <laughs> minutes. Like, <laughs> by the way, you know that by the end of it, you were in the fetal position with your head in my lap. <laughs> You're just like, so what? I'd be like, what? What would it be? What happens next? <laughs> What's coming now? Um, exactly. Okay. I think we can just call it quits. Trying to control my pity, pity for you right now. 46 minutes is also 11 p.m. It's well after the time I normally go to bed. It's it just, is, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you actually you had an really... earlier night than this at the Logies. <laughs> <laughs> I know that for a fact. I'm going to tell you something funny but not on the podcast about that early night. That's just the that's the meanest thing to do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Peach. <laughs> it's between me you and Crab. complete ass. All right. <laughs> Bye. Good night.